0: We are actually seeing uh, record signups almost every day. Um, so I think starting around uh, the 9th of March, the stock markets have been in the media for weeks now. So that that's all you hear that um, the stock market is down, um, kind of like an apocalypse is coming. It seems like that there is no such news as bad news.
1: On today's show, we are talking to Victor, the CMO at Free Trade, and we're talking all about how the lockdown is beginning to affect the way that people approach the stock market. This is Tech Talks. I'm your host, David Savage, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Jesse Bello Perez from The Next Web. It's your twice weekly technology podcast with interviews from some of the industry's leaders and a little bit of tech news. Joining me for today's Tech Talks, we've got Jesse Bello Perez, who we haven't had on the show for a little while, so thank you for coming and joining me as as a guest host today.
2: Absolutely delighted. It's just madness that it took a global pandemic for me to come back, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, For anyone who's not familiar, you are an award-winning journalist. Um, You're a senior writer at The Next Web. You're also leading The Next Web's efforts on uh, growth quarters, which is all about scale-ups across the European sector, correct?
2: That's right, yes,
1: cool, and you work fully remotely, so this is kind of i mean it, it is different, right, but I suppose you were you were kind of prepped at least going into the unusual situation that we now have,
2: yeah, uh, I mean, I've been doing working from home full time for a, a little bit over a year, so obviously it's just been an interesting um experience to see how other friends and family who don't work remotely at all are kind of dealing with it. But as we were just saying offline, I think the real issue now is that your weeks and weekends just blend into one, yeah. isn't it? So exactly. it's definitely it's definitely a bit crazy.
1: <laughs> I suppose the interesting question is: Does your husband normally work from home?
2: No, so he's a carpenter. So there's absolutely no way that he can work from home. Um, he's been at home um, ever since the lockdown began. Um, so I think he's really struggling and it's probably fed up with me by now, but
1: <laughs> my, my wife works from home normally and I, I'll work from home like the odd day, but she said the first couple of weeks she just got, she just was like, you're here and you're noisy and you're getting in the way.
2: <laughs> and and then they, they probably start to wonder like why why did I marry this person like what did I see in them right like here I am at home with my laptop and my top knot all the kind of stuff that he didn't see before because he was at work he now gets to see all day every day.
1: <laughs> uh, well, look, thank you for joining us for today's interview. Uh, we will go to it now. It's with the CMO of Free Trade, Victor, who's been on the show before. So it's also a returning guest. Uh, But afterwards, we'll be back with some commentary on it and then a bit of tech news from uh, Jesse, one of an article that you wrote a little bit later on the show. So on today's podcast, we have a returning guest, which is always a lovely thing to do. We have Victor from Free Trade. Uh, Victor, you were on the show probably about a year ago now. Thanks for having me back, David. Welcome back. Thanks for giving up some time and talking to us, especially during this slightly interesting moment.
0: Yeah, we are actually on video conference. Uh,
1: How are you finding it so far?
0: Well, it's actually pretty all right. Um, So even when this whole thing started, um, I think a week before that, we actually um, asked the whole team, the the Free Trade team, to work from home. Um, Mm -hmm. So we actually did some... um, uh a drill or exercise before that where like the entire company worked from home for two days even before that so we've we, we've been kind of preparing i mean part of that is obviously it's it's extremely important for us that you know everyone's safe and um and healthy and all that stuff for for everyone's individual sake as well as for for our company to function that's really important and i what I actually found my my routine hasn't really changed um obviously it's a different experience for different people. Um, my daily routine has not changed in the sense that we have uh, daily stand ups uh with the teams, and uh we discuss everything um I, I find i have to have to put in more effort to actually um uh, we are using zoom to to zoom people um you know every now and then because uh written communication is not really not as effective as uh, kind of like calling someone up and Having a video call, uh, you can just convey a lot more and explain a lot more. So I have to put more effort into that. Um, some some other team members reported they kind of went back to their, um, you know, parents' house, for example, to kind of have a little bit more space because working from home is, you know, if you have very limited space, that that can be a, um not so optimal experience. But uh, so far so good. Actually, our customers have not even noticed while we were doing that. Um, I sent a newsletter and people were sur- positively surprised that we actually went into um, working from home mode uh, that early.
1: Look, I actually, that, that comment surprises me slightly, because I would have thought that a business that's reasonably young, reasonably lean, has been built very much in a, in a tech environment, you would almost expect it to be prepared to be able to work remotely. So it's interesting that people, people are surprised that you took that early approach.
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess because it was unusual, I, I think, you know, there is value in being in the office and that's like kind of like the default expectation of people. So they were positively surprised in the sense of, oh, yeah, that's that's really nice. You know, you're like, um, you know, we have not noticed and, and all that sort of stuff. I think it was around, I sent the newsletter around the time uh, the lockdown was announced. So people were really impressed, which was is, which is great. Um,
1: so, I'd be really intrigued to know what's happened since the lockdown has started. And I say this for two reasons. First of all, we were chatting and you very casually said that it has gotten very busy for you. And secondly, to caveat that, I spoke to my colleague a couple of days ago and he told me that he put £2,500 into shares this month. Because he's not spending his money on anything else. I suppose there might be an element that people are sitting at home and they have got disposable cash and now might be a great time to invest, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, hopefully he opened an account with free trade. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't actually ask; I should have done, but um, I, I will point him in the direction of this podcast and our previous one.
0: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thanks, David. Yeah, um, so we are actually seeing uh, record sign-ups almost every day. Um, so I think starting around uh, the 9th of March, uh, when it all started and, and things became serious, we actually just like noticed a lot more people signed up than usual and uh, the signups more than doubled um, um, over the average of the previous couple of weeks. So that was fantastic to see. And of course, uh, we've we've been conducting customer research, um, uh, asking our customers why they suddenly sign up, how they discover free trade and all that sort of stuff. We hear of various reasons. Um, So obviously, the stock markets have been in the media for weeks now, so that that's all you hear that um, the stock market is down, um, kind of like an apocalypse is coming, um, and all that sort of stuff. And it seems like that there is no such news as bad news. Um, I mean, you would mm-hmm. think that um, you know the the coverage um, scares people off uh, from investing, but it kind of keeps uh, keeps investing on their mind. The there are there are a couple of interesting reasons other reasons why people would sign up someone told me that uh they've been investing in oics so it's open ended investment companies kind of like mutual funds in the US and um the other feature of that is that you sell your shares in that and um you know you get your money back the next uh, business day or, or something like that um well th- that's just you know then you see your uh The the money you saved in these OICs go down in value rapidly. Then you you probably want to maybe sell them. Uh, Potentially, you can make that decision. It's just not fast enough if it's not exchange traded. So someone someone would tell a story about that. That's why that's why they finally joined free trade. Obviously, they kind of had it on their minds before. So this was very interesting. Um, And uh, yeah, I think there is an element to what what you are saying. People are at home and some of us have time for various reasons for good reasons or or not so great reasons. Um, and, uh, I've noticed, you know, various signs, you know, um, things changing. Uh, my fiance actually has, she signed up for this interesting service. She's selling some shoes and handbags. She bought when she was like, you know, young and spending on, on those kind of things younger. Um, and, (laughs) um, and, uh, yeah, uh, the, the shoes have not, you know, they've been selling, but kind of like every couple of months and suddenly three pairs um, have been sold. So I, I I don't think she has anything left in that service, uh, which is very interesting. People have time, they browse the internet, uh, e-commerce, and all that stuff. So uh, we are seeing very interesting changes. And kind of like the big question around that, will these stay around? Uh, have people's behavior um, shifted? Um, Substantially um, to like a, a new normal of working from home, uh, video calling, uh, buying things online, a lot more.
1: So, what I would be interested then to find out is that people are coming onto free trade and they're investing money. You did a podcast a couple of months ago um, with the guys over at 11FS, and you were talking very much about how. Um, the future investing was was breaking down barriers. There was a surge in climate change investing, and free trade users were basically on the forefront of that. Um, is that a trend that you're seeing at the minute or right now? Given, I suppose, given that the world's in a slightly interesting moment, are people are people going back to to, to traditional? assets to invest in? Are they they a little bit more worried, I suppose, with the pandemic, with COVID, to invest in, I suppose, green or renewable or sustainable?
0: Uh, That's a great question. We are still seeing that trend, and I read it somewhere, I I actually can't remember where, but um, uh, ESG uh, uh, type of investments actually have done better um, than uh, those that are not... um, obviously um, uh, you know googling up these data points and, and doing your own research is really important um, but uh, yeah uh, that trend still continues but um, you know every week we publish the most popular uh, investments uh, um, for the week and um, at the beginning of this we saw quite a few people uh, investing in oil companies actually so that that was there's that was, a that was somewhat new. So th- there is that trend as well. Obviously, the uh, Saudi Russia um, situation made those stocks cheaper. Um, also it's um, you know it's, it's different segments and, and different trends that are happening on the app at the, at the same time. Uh, but but we've definitely seen a shift. Most people still invest in, in ETFs, uh, though, and you know they invest in a couple of individual individual shares. Um, but which shares those are, it, it shifted somewhat. That's that's true.
1: And look, from the first podcast to the second podcast, a year apart, um, has the demograph of your user base changed slightly? Because at the beginning, you were very much focused at that that first-time investor, someone who didn't really understand the stock market, etc. I'd imagine that's still the same, but you might now, you know, I've seen free trade around, I've seen it advertised, you might be beginning to pick up more traditional traders at the same time.
0: Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. So um, a percentage of our um, new customers have have always been um, entirely new to investing. We've actually always had a kind of substantial percentage of people who Um, invested before but they were not Mm -hmm. entirely happy with the service uh, coming from other companies uh, so that remained but what changed is that we became a lot more mainstream Uh, so we um, we we have probably 130,000 customers now and um, yeah with that um, you know when you have like let's say 10,000 that's an entirely different ballgame but um, you know people that are um, both new and uh, and experience with investing uh, sign up for the service, and they have kind of like different needs. When we were kind of like a, a youngish tech um, company, like a, like a new app, and you know early tech adop- adopters sign up, I, I think that's probably what connects those early um, th- uh, those early customers. They are more f- maybe forgiving with um, features being in beta. Uh, you know, not not everything um, you know working perfectly or not not having um literally all the features that incumbent um apps would have or, or solutions whereas our newer customers uh, demand uh, those those features and uh they demand fast customer service that's always popular which we deliver on uh, thankfully and and a couple of other features and we are working hard on releasing those features um mm. but uh yeah the expectations uh, kind of shifted and we kind of end like literally in, in the span of a year, from kind of like a you know new exciting app to kind of like a service that's mentioned alongside with the incumbents, which is exciting.
1: I suppose the challenge for you now is your your growth has been um, the the catalyst for your growth has been what you are as an app and that new approach to a traditional market. And the temptation might be we've got one hundred and thirty odd thousand. Users and they are demanding certain products and services. But you know, Steve Jobs always said that, or, or sorry, Henry Henry Ford and Steve Jobs have always said things along the line of, you know, users don't really know what they want. You know, if we'd ask con- if we'd asked a consumer what they wanted, they would have just wanted a faster horse. All of those kind of quotes through history. Um, so, how do you get that balancing act between, yeah, it's a community, and yeah, we want to keep our customers happy, but actually also recognizing that what you were doing and how that was different from what was already out there was the thing that that fueled and sustained that growth.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a great quote. Uh, Steve Jobs said another one, which is you can please uh, some of, some people some of the time, right? And, yeah. and that's entirely true because we have different personas, different um, kinds of people on the app, and we want to service all of them as well as we can, but we have to prioritize uh, certain features. And part of that is understanding who, who we are really targeting. And you know, one of our personas is definitely people that, um, invested before uh, they are in a certain demographic um uh, they have a long investing um long years of investing ahead of them uh we definitely want those people on on free trade and, and and benefit from free trade we also want to reach people who are new to investing and um increase the i guess the the pie um uh, the, the entire market by by reaching those people and we are prioritizing, prioritizing features that Are more relevant uh, to them.
1: So we've had a year between the podcasts. If we have another year between another one, Victor, where do you think? What do you think we'll be talking about in a year's time?
0: Well, I I think probably I'm going to be talking about um, uh, hopefully uh, reaching multiples of the customers that that we have right now on the app. Uh, So going from uh, 130 to. Hopefully above uh, 300 long-term vision is reaching millions of new customers across Europe. Um, so hopefully I'll be talking about that as well, being in various countries and the challenges of localizing something as personal as, as, as your investment to countries like uh, Germany or, or Ireland or, or France.
1: Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show. Thanks for giving up some time this morning. I know you're busy, and uh, yeah, look, I'll hold you to that. We'll talk to you, to you again in a year and see how accurate your predictions are.
0: Well, uh, thanks, David. I'm definitely keen to get back and and, and see if my predictions uh, came through. And uh, <laughs> yeah, great talking to you from uh, through this video call from from quarantine. That that's definitely a definitely a, a nice experience while uh, working from home.
1: So look, obviously. Um, I would normally, I I think I'd probably normally dominate the uh, conversation with my co-hosts a little bit too much and I should shut up more. But you're a professional journalist. There's there's a whole range of different topics touched on here. Kind of what resonated with you when you were listening to, to Victor?
2: Um, I think it's really interesting to hear from this kind of like new wave of fintech companies, right, that are seeking to democratize uh, finance and the stock market mm. for a whole bunch of people that wouldn't have necessarily ever thought that that was within their their reach. Um, and I think it's also interesting to hear from someone who's doing it and they can actually, you know, you can kind of see how that's having an impact. Like I've personally not used free t- free trade before, but I have used mm. similar apps um and have invested in a few um tech companies and i just think it kind of sparks the conversation about um looking at what's happening in the market but also understanding it if you're not necessarily from an economics or finance background you know i did history and politics at a university so i'm definitely not an economist um mm. but also it's just a great um Resource for us journalists as well to keep it tra- keep tabs on who's investing and in why in, in what and uh, and why. Um, I definitely don't have a lot of disposable income to invest. You know, thousands of pounds on on stocks every month. But I yeah. think um, from my perspective, not being an expert, I would always look to back companies that I enjoy using or that I respect as a business. Um, So I actually have a friend who's an investment banker, and she was saying, you know, that's exactly the right thing to do. If you don't have the knowledge that's required to fully understand what's happening in the market, you should always look to back the companies that you believe in.
1: I think just picking up on a couple of points you're making there, um, the the democratization piece is massively important. But I suppose they are at this early point. They're sorry. They're at this interesting point where. A lot of the fintechs, they get the early adopters. And I suppose it's probably easier if people aren't familiar with trading to think of someone like a, a Monzo, a Revolut or a Starling. The early adopters will probably flock to those products and go, oh, great. Yeah, I'm going to start using these. I'm going to get the card. I'm going to bank with it because they're, they're probably more um, inclined to jump on with a new app or a new product. I suppose it gets to that point, though, where you're beginning to break beyond the early adopters into uh, kind of legacy users of, of banks and financial products, and then looking at how you attract them and bring them into your ecosystem. I hate the word ecosystem, but we'll go with it. But how how you bring those people into your uh, range of products and get them using it effectively whilst not losing that early core audience that are obviously probably very passionate about the products and have been using it for a while.
2: Yeah, and I think that comes like from a business perspective. I think that brings its own kind of set of challenges, right? And, you know, even speaking from people that I know just are purely like outside of work, I think there's a really interesting conversation amongst, I don't want to use the word, but I'm going to use it anyway, millennials, right? <laughs> um, we see more and more people, or I've noticed more and more people actually setting money aside every month to invest on apps such as free trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas probably, you know, three, four years ago, or even before then, it wouldn't have been the case. That money would either go into your savings account if you were lucky enough to to be able to save in the first place, or you probably go out and, you know, buy avocado on toast, which is so stereotypical. But um, I totally agree with what you said. I think, you know, the first wave of fintech clearly was those kind of challenger banks in the UK. Um, and now I kind of see this as kind of a, a maturing of the of the ecosystem that is financial technology.
1: I suppose it's going to be interesting to see how the products change as a, as a consequence, because what, my parents might want from something if they were to look at one of these fintech products as opposed to what i want is probably quite different i mean i can't see my mom and dad ever uh downloading one of these products but though you know I, I don't want to kind of discriminate and write off uh someone of, of my parents age because they may well be interested in adopting these these products and, and and how that how that changes what free trade and other fintechs take to market it's going to be quite interesting i suppose over the next two two three years
2: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because um, obviously my granddad, for example, he's 83. um, And when I'd be prior to uh, to, uh, starting at Growth Quarters, when I was writing about Bitcoin, I did that for a while. And it actually surprised me to see how interested he was in understanding what the technology was and also was kind of keen to start investing in Bitcoin. Obviously, I put a stop to that. because (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this could go really, 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 really badly. But, um, you know, there is that challenge. I think these apps uh, it is democratization democratization of finance, but ultimately is exactly what you said. How do you make it cross-generational? So how do you ensure that it's not just, you know, people in their mid 20s, early 20s, 30s and 40s, but also how is there any way of making it more attractive and appealing or easier for people that are of an older age to kind of start using it? Because ultimately they probably have more money than us anyway. Uh, more yep. disposable income and are probably able to invest much more than we can
1: i must point out that the only reason my friend has so much money to invest is he literally has nothing his flat is is basically four four white walls with uh, <laughs> bugger all on them but there we go uh <laughs> i i like the point that victor makes about them. no no such news or sorry no yeah no news is is bad news when it comes to, to trading and stocks. Because I would have thought that people would have been very cautious about investing money right now. And actually, that seems to be not the case. It just reinforces that there is a stock market and people are kind of going, oh, hang on a minute, I suppose there's probably, there is probably money to be made in it.
2: Yeah, and I think, like, I can't speak for any other sector, but I think, if anything, uh, the current situation has kind of made people aware of the fact that technology – this sounds such a like such a massive cliche, but it is kind of it is the future. Right. So ultimately, while there are a lot of companies out there that are unfortunately suffering the devastating effects of of coronavirus, there are also a lot of technologies, tech, tech, tech companies that have been able to adapt and are thriving. And. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also kind of highlighted just how reliant we are on technology on our daily lives. You know, three months ago, I wouldn't even have thought twice about ordering something on Amazon or um, using Deliveroo to get a grocery delivery or even actually do an online shop. I never used to do online shopping on on like on a grocery store or supermarket here in the UK because I always used to go to the supermarket. Um, mm. So I think that awakening is kind of... Um, Making people a little bit more interesting in terms of what's happening on within tech stocks
1: alone look um the, the point that he makes about the value of being in the office, I suppose it's not just about being in the office, it's about that routine that we all had um, you know I, I typically went to the gym and then I went to work, and then there was other bits and pieces that kind of built around the whole working week that has now kind of been stripped away. You obviously work from home. Anyway, as, as a journalist and as a as a publication, have, have the next web been looking at because you know, you're you're obviously talking to all sorts of different startups, collating the, the most interesting stuff that's coming out kind of with regards to how people can keep healthy and active and 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 actually work productively as a consequence.
2: Yeah, I think uh TMW has been amazing throughout. They made the decision to send everyone home. Uh, I I don't know if you know, but I work from home. But actually, their HQ is in Amsterdam, and it's where most yes. employees are based. It's where your it's where
1: your big show is most years. Every, every that's year, right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: The TMW conference, the tech festival. Yeah. yeah. Um. So they they have been brilliant, brilliant throughout. They made a the decision to send home, everyone home actually before the Dutch government mandated um lockdown. Um, as a company, we're really well prepared, uh, particularly the editorial team. I can't speak for every other team, but we're very well prepared in terms of like being able to work from home. Um, so, in that sense, it's been a completely smooth process. I think what we're noticing um, in terms of content, so growth quarters. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's what we try to do is obviously cover the EU tech ecosystem, but also give people candid insights and advice to help them grow their business. So, actually this, you know, global pandemic has meant that we've had to readapt the kind of content that we put out. And it's been actually really eye opening to see just how people are flocking towards content that's about exercising at home, um, how to break up your work week, um, how to break up your work week and your weekend, how to um, how to have the perfect morning routine so that you set up yourself to work productively for the rest of the day. Um you know, it's the kind of stuff that we probably wouldn't have necessarily written and pushed out maybe two months ago. Uh, but I think there's a real hunger and thirst and appetite for this kind of content, which actually is has been really eye opening for me personally, because I thought, you know, perhaps um, a little bit subjectively, I thought it was stuff that everybody was able to to kind of do on a personal level but ultimately i you know i i often forget that not everybody is able to work from home when they want to or even full time um and you know the mental health conversation i think is particularly powerful at the moment i think people are realizing just how hard it can be to be locked up at home and working from home mm-hmm. every day and not being able to see anybody being in isolation and how that can act, uh, affect your your workload but also you know looking at how founders, entrepreneurs, team leads can become better managers and better leaders. Because actually, if there are any faults in your leadership, now is probably the time that they're going to uh, shine through.
1: Yeah I mean it's interesting to, to hearing you say that because uh, we were talking about secret leaders um the podcast secret leaders uh before we, we hit record and I know that they'd shelved their fifth series to switch their content entirely to stuff that they felt was more relevant to people's lives during this pandemic because it is uncharted territory for a lot, for a lot of people.
2: Yes definitely and you know um I think uh, most people are kind of learning Every day, um, because mm. we uh, it's unprecedented. Nobody's really been through it before. Nobody's done it before. Um, so I think it's now is the time, if anything, to share as much as advice and learnings as you can.
1: Well, that that'll do for this part of the show. Um, Victor, thanks very much for being our guest. Uh, we'll be back in a moment, and we're going to pick over an article that Jesse has written, uh, for Growth Quarters. Once a month, Tech Talks opens the Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, manchester singapore dubai and many more welcome back to the show we will talk through an article that you can find on thenextweb.com forward slash growth uh, dash quarters coronavirus threatens flow of u.s capital into european tech startups we'll share this in the show notes as well but Jesse, you, you wrote it so probably best for you to, to describe exactly what what the uh, the thrust of the piece is first of all
2: Yeah, so um, it's actually a piece that is based on data released by PitchBook. And it basically gives you an overview of how coronavirus is impacting um, the European tech ecosystem and particularly centers in on how um, it's going to have a massive effect on investment coming from US VCs. And obviously, the whole premise is based around the fact that, you know, as unemployment kind of, well, as the U.S. suffers financially, then investors in that country are going to take a more inward look and focus on supporting homegrown companies and startups as opposed to perhaps looking further afield and looking to back uh, European founders. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's definitely interesting, but I think it's kind of what you would expect to read given the circumstances. So, you know, it also talks about there being um, a potential um halt in the amount of tech exits that we see for a while and that's obviously to do with the fact that you know uh, companies are being less funded and probably having to focus on just keeping their their, uh, existing customers and products ticking over um but i also think it comes at a really interesting time because i think the conversation has always been you know um european tech um founders going over to the us to look for funding whereas actually i personally feel that the european tech ecosystem is mature enough and there are some amazing European funds already. Um, So whilst this might have a knock-on effect, as you would expect, um, I don't necessarily, well, personally, I don't think that it's going to have such a devastating effect on European tech. I think, as with everything else, uncertainty is never good. But I don't know that if we know the full effects at the moment.
1: Look, forgive me for being slightly ignorant here, but obviously London has is- often had the lion's share of investment from from the VC community. I don't know if the majority of that has been US-led versus European-led. Is there a possibility here that other countries and other cities outside of London could benefit because European investors who've previously been priced out of the market might, if they can afford to, invest and they may be predisposed to investing in slightly different regions or different cities to those that we typically have seen getting that level of funding?
2: I mean, I, I obviously don't have the answer to that. I think that I think that that definitely needs to happen. Like you've rightly said, I think London has always taken most of the money, and that's always been a shame. Um, even when in my previous job, you know, we did a we put in a lot of effort in terms of covering what was happening in the UK as a whole. And even back in the day, so I'm talking maybe two years ago, you'd have conversations with London-based VCs, and they were saying how they were starting to get on trains, and you know, going in to see what was happening in other. Tech ecosystems. I think, obviously, the biggest ones have always been Bristol, Cambridge, Oxford, mm. um, Edinburgh, and Glasgow. Um, but I do, and also just generally, like the UK tech ecosystem has always been very different to what's happening in continental Europe. Right? If you look at league tables over the past few years, UK has always been top, and it's always been closely followed by either France or or Germany. Um, so I think it's also going to be interesting to see what happens um, in that ranking. You know, what's going to happen if um, just, well, is the UK going to keep its spot or is there going to be a little bit of reshuffling um, in Europe?
1: Just out of interest, whilst this is an awful time for so many different reasons, could there be some benefits in that it could be healthy for the tech Um community across europe you you've you've written here i think it's a it's a quote but rather than pursue ambitious growth targets startups will need or sorry will instead need to focus on managing existing resources and engaging existing in customers for renewals to ensure um business continuity' There's the report that says that but you've quoted it there um i mean that's a good point isn't it that actually we may end up with a healthier set of technology companies and if we look at the problems that um have have uh, befallen we work recently where you've effectively got um a, a, a kind of um a real estate business pretending perhaps to be a tech company and throwing kind of the word tech all over their their IPO document and then obviously that kind of unraveling somewhat well people are going to be a bit more cautious and I suppose the businesses that come out the other end of this in, in good shape are going to be healthier for it.
2: Yeah totally and I think you know even if we look at back at what happened uh, after the 2008-2009 financial crisis it's kind of the Pinpoint uh, like the birth of fintech companies, right? Um, and I think if if I talk as a consumer, my um, I am going to be loyal to the companies that are actually customer centric at the moment and are looking after their customers. So to put an example, for example, be right back travel which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically a um, subscription service that enables you to pay a monthly subscription fee. And every four months, I think it is, they send you on a weekend away in Europe somewhere and your fee covers uh, two nights accommodation at a hotel and also flights. So they're probably a very clear example of a company that is being incredibly impacted by what's happening right now because they're a travel tech company, right? Mm -hmm. Um, As a subscriber, they have been at absolutely amazing transparent from the very beginning um working with customers to make sure that their travel plans are if they if disrupted that they're informed in terms of what's happening now but also what they can expect in the future um and i think you know the companies that are best placed to do so they're in incredibly um they're in an incredibly good position at the moment to make sure that their customers know that they're there for them and to bring build brand loyalty and i know it sounds so cheesy but you know in this particular case i'm not going to cancel my subscription because mm. if anything i will freeze it which i have done but as soon as things go back to normal whenever that may be i am going to stick with them um yeah. but i think exactly like you said if on the reverse if companies are doing the complete opposite you're also going to remember that right um, Yeah.
1: Look, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I know that you're probably quite busy, and uh, uh, this isn't uh, too disruptive to your to your normal flow. So, really do appreciate you kind of finding time to join us. Uh, I will make sure that we do share that article in the show notes, and we sh- we share it out through our social accounts. But otherwise, Jesse, lovely to catch up with you, and do stay safe. Well,
2: thank you so much for having me. Anytime, thank you, Dave.